This podcast is brought to you by the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, your community foundation, which is focused on one simple goal, to help philanthropists pursue their causes for bettering the lives of people in Louisiana. Welcome to the pod. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and today we invited Jill Sergio, the executive director of the Companion Animal Alliance. We will discuss the Companion Animal Alliance's decade of work here in Baton Rouge and how it will continue to serve the community into the next decade. Thanks to the work of Companion Animal Alliance, our parish's animal save rate has gone from just 20% of abandoned animals to more than 90% annually over the last decade. Keep listening to learn more about the work of the Companion Animal Alliance. Jill, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, Companion Animal Alliance. I know this was, we're celebrating, I think, close to our 10-year anniversary. The Baton Rouge Area Foundation had you know, some role in, in, in helping the, the alliance get started. Tell us a little bit about the history and how you came to the Companion Animal Alliance. Of course. So about 10 years ago, a group of community members got together and didn't love the way things were happening in our parish regarding animals. I think at the time, the save rate was like 25%. There wasn't any communication or really transparency around it. So a group of members got together with the help of BRAF, and then they founded Companion Animal Alliance. With that, they kind of negotiated with the city and we actually got the sheltering contract for the parish animal shelter. And so we actually transitioned into the role and have been doing the animal sheltering for about 10 years at this point. So in in many communities and cities, parishes, city governments running these kind of shelters, uh, what sort of led to the instigation of, all right, we really need a sort of dedicated nonprofit for this? You know, I think that with nonprofits, you have a little bit more freedom than kind of government. We can kind of adjust the way we do things. It's not like this is the law, this is the ordinance, this is what we need to do. I mean, obviously we follow those. But it really was very stuck in the past of the mm-hmm. way they were doing things. It was kind of the 1970s approach. You catch animals, you keep them, and then you euthanize them. And there was no really, let's adopt them, let's work to get them back to the owners. So the the group of people, the community was like, we need to change this. This isn't okay anymore. And so we have worked, we're still working to make sure we're still hitting those goals. Tell me about your your role in getting here and sort of being an, an instigator of all this. Well, uh, so I've actually been in this role three years. Yeah. And so before that, I was in another role and kind of took a time off and went to another shelter. And I think what, what I did in the past and what I did now is really just being open with the public. I think so many years we kept everything behind the doors. We didn't talk about the things we didn't want the community to know. I mean, nobody wants to talk about yeah. euthanizing animals and how we're over overwhelmed with animals, but everybody needs to know this. This is not a CAA problem. This is a community problem and we need the entire community to fix it. So I think one of the main things is being transparent, communicating with people, asking for help when you need it, and then also willing to be progressive and change. If something's not working, then we just shift and try something else. It might not always work, but it's worth a shot. Talk to me a little bit about just in general, what, what were some of the differences now that we were running it as a nonprofit? What what changed in terms of community communication, maybe downstream partnerships? What 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 looked different once we established CAA? 
Yeah. So I think one of the things is we can actually take on these outside partnerships. I mean, we can form whatever partnerships that we want. Um, We can write grants for specific programs, you know, change hours. We can raise funds in a different way. We can also waive funds if we need to. So I think it's just a little bit more freedom to do what we need to do. And then also not being so, I hate to say it this way, but kind of government controlled. I mean, there's a black and white and animal sheltering isn't black and white. There's a lot of gray area. So we just kind of embrace the gray. <laughs> I think that's a that's a great phrase, uh, and 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 learn that that's where that's where most of us have to operate, right? Give us uh, some some success stories that you've seen. I mean, um, it, it's a tremendous, and and I've been out to the the center before and seen the beautiful new space. But but talk to us a little bit about some of the successes and stories that maybe folks wouldn't know. Yeah, I think one of the things is our facility. So we're. Um, we're brand new, I guess. We're three years old, but I still think that's pretty brand new. We're on LSU's campus. It took CA about 10 years to raise funds for this building, and we are. it's beautiful. It's a place that you want animals to be. It's not, you know, the pounds that people think of. It's We have air conditioning, which we didn't in the past. We have a way to actually properly clean kennels and control disease. So we have this beautiful building, and we're not essentially the pounds, what people think of. We are an animal shelter. We're we're designated for animal welfare. I think one of the the biggest success we have is our save rate is actually last year was the highest it's ever been. So I think we had about an 88% save rate, maybe a little bit higher. And that's almost completely flipping it when we took over. I mean, it was 25-ish percent. They didn't really count statistics. That's well, but honestly, that's a guess. But we completely changed it. And especially we changed it when last year was our highest intake we've ever had. So we took in 9,500 animals and we still... Had your got, rate ever. We had a rate. And it, I mean, it wow. was a challenge. It was a, every day was a struggle, but we still did that. And that's a huge thing. Another one of our things is, it's one of the things I'm most proud of is our Pets for Life program. We actually go out in the most underserved parts of our community. This year, we expanded to two different zip codes and offer free pet services. So spay, neuter, veterinary care, food, supplies, and guidance. And this community has been overlooked for so long by animal welfare. And if they have a an interaction, it's kind of negative. Somebody picks up a dog, their dog's sick, they can't afford it. And so now we're kind of that lifeline where, oh, you need help? We're glad to provide that support. And so it's it's amazing work we do. And we realize like, just because you have a lack of resources doesn't mean you have a lack of love. So we've kind of embraced that and embrace that with CAA and try to make sure that everybody has a pet has what they need. The pandemic uh, must have changed things. I mean, you're, you're just coming into a new building. You're, you know, new into the into the executive director role. 2020, 2021. Talk to us about how you all have navigated the last years. What's been different for the Companion Alliance? So I think it's in animal welfare in, in general. Mm-hmm. Everything has shifted dramatically. So even though we've changed a lot, it was still kind of back where like animal control picks up a dog. People find a dog, you bring it in. And now it's like, how can we keep pets with the people and kind of avoid them coming into the shelter in general. Obviously, it didn't work because we had a high intake, but we kind of realized we needed to provide more support to pet owners. So we opened a pet food pantry. Like, we get it. It's hitting people hard right now. If you need food, let us know and we'll provide that to you. And we're still doing our pet food pantry. Um, Pets for Life, instead of spay and neuter services, we were more just like do you need a dog house to help provide your dog because you're moving and now your dog's outside? Do you need food? Um, Or do you just need somebody to talk to? So we've kind of realized we have to support people and their pets better than what we have before versus just bring it to the shelter. We can't do anything. It's like, do you need a kennel? Can you hold them for like two weeks while we try to find somewhere else? So it's really just supporting 
people and their pets outside of the shelter. And so the pandemic sort of forced those things. And now, I mean, it's so great that you're continuing those programs yes. and, and amplifying those. Any, any, any things that um, now you think will, will become much more expansive in your, in your work because of the pandemic? I mean, this is things I, I would like to expand. I think we need a little bit more community support and everybody together. But I, I really believe that animal sheltering is different and it's changing the trajectory and really what shelters are now. They should be for dangerous animals and animals that have no other options. And every other thing, we need to figure out ways to keep pets in homes or with temporary caregivers or other aspects versus bringing them to the shelter. And then we have no other choice, but we hold them five days and we can't find an adopter. Then we're having to make hard decisions. So really just trying to get the community together to embrace this though is what we need because it's got to be all of us right it's I mean, all of us yes what would be success in your mind um it, maybe there's not a number because there could be unique cases but but what what sort of best in class what are you shooting for you know that's hard i think there's a lot of other this can go in different things but i mean i don't like numbers i think save rate is a little hard because we get dangerous animals and sick animals in but i think when we get to a point where our shelter is not operating at capacity, where I don't have every kennel filled, that's success. I think it's success when our community has other resources versus no other options to bringing them to the mm -hmm. shelter. And I think when CAA becomes a place of just a resource center for their entire community versus we're just the shelter, I think that's success. When people are calling us for guidance and help versus having no other option than bringing their animal. How can individuals get involved with your work? How do you take on volunteers? I, there's, I mean, anybody can be involved in like multitude of ways. That's one of the great things about animal welfare is first adopt, you know, I'll blanket stay that. But if you can't adopt, foster, take a dog in temporarily or a cat or a bunny or whatever we have. Um, that way it clears up a shelter. We can dedicate our resources to the animals that need it most. And it gives them some socialization, some downtime. They can't do that. Volunteer, walk dogs, help work with you know the lost pets page of baton rouge and get pets back to their owners versus entering the shelters advocate share about what we do and then if not always donate to animals take a lot of resources and a lot of money and in order to keep saving animals and providing support we need donations and every dollar helps now some out there you know we we have a number of of crises and needs in our community but but you know i for one think it's incredibly important that we are uplifting the entire community and and you know make make the pitch for somebody who would be skeptical and say well look there's so many other needs human needs why would we pay attention here that's that's wonderful that you said that um you know and i mean it's gonna sound weird when i say this but pets are people i mean not in that sense but like people love their pets they're a huge part of people's life i mean they provide physical health they provide emotional mental health they even provide safety um and without pets i mean our whole community and people would be different so yes i know if you're gonna like we can't even feed our children. How are we going to feed our pets? But most of the time, people that have children also have pets, and they're not wanting to sacrifice that. So they play a huge role in our community. I mean, you can go anywhere. If you have a pet, it starts conversation. It helps with safety, like I said, physical and mental health. It all. It is a very easy solution to address a lot of things at once. 
as as the father of two young boys, I can I can um, comment on that. It is it is teaching responsibility. Mm-hmm. There's always the conversation. We need more, and and um, we're we're working our way working our way up to that. But but no, I think absolutely. And I think you know, look during the pandemic, I think we we saw that we've had conversations on this podcast before about the mental health crises that that are affecting our communities. I mean, pets are enormous resources in in building to that and companionship. And again, I think it shows the value of of a community that cares for all the needs across it, that it's not turning a blind eye to any corner and, and we're trying to uplift everyone and, and everything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so maybe stepping out, but it could be in this, in this vein, is there sort of one big idea? What, what if Baton Rouge was um, the best city in America getting it right for our relationship with, with animals and, and in the community, what, what would that look like? Well, um, I, that's hard. But I think one of the things that we need to get there is we need an actual community assessment for animals. It's something we haven't really done. An expert, an outside ex- objective expert comes in and tells us what we need to do for our community. They look at our laws and our ordinances, sheltering, look at CAA, tell me what I need to do better. Look at animal control, look at our vet clinics, our resources, our housing, look at everything and then tell us ways to actually support our community better because no community is the same. We're going to have different problems than New Orleans. We're going to have different problems than Boston. Wherever we are, it's always different, but we need to figure out a best way to address everything at once for our community and all work together versus what we're doing now is we have a million different groups doing their own little things. It's let's work together, let's solve the issue and really drive us forward versus kind of being stuck in limbo or we should do this, but we don't know how, which is what we're doing right now. Is, is that in the works? Is that on the horizon I would like it to be in the works. Okay, so we, we need to talk about that. I would then. like it to be in the works, yes. <laughs> See, a follow-up from right here right here on the pod. Uh, that's that's great. Talk to us a little bit, maybe a, a moment of levity, but but could you share a, a, a story of, you know, either a, a hopeful, uplifting, or, or maybe, you know, one of the more um, – I used to be a school teacher, and and the stories I have that that just were, um, you know, so as I think back to those days of teaching were um, elevating, uplifting, also just hilarious. You could make up, you know, the reactions students might have, and uh, and so I just think fondly about that. But I, I wonder if you could share a story of from the from the shelter that that really could either entertain or 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 remind us why this is so important. That's hard. I mean, there's a lot of entertaining things. No day is the same, (laughs) uh, especially with animals. They're always kind of wild cards. But one of the, and this is actually a few years ago, but I think it's very valuable. A dog came in. It was a little bit older. And we scanned it. We scanned every animal for a microchip, and a microchip popped up. And so I called the owner, um, and they were like, no, my dog's dead. And I was like, well, there's a dog with a microchip here. And the woman had moved. And so in moving, she lost her dog. Um, somebody told her, and this is years had passed. This is like four years after the fact that they saw the dog dead on the side of the road. And so she had given up, given up hope that this dog was alive. Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay, I understand. And so I called years later, she was already out of state, had moved again and was like, this is your dog. And she drove miles to get here to be reunited with a dog that essentially she thought was gone. Um, and it was just the power of a simple thing we did and made a call and we made this, we changed this woman's life. She thought her beloved pet was gone and now it's back in her life and I'm hoping yeah. they're still living happy. Um, they but are, it's, they are. You know, it's things like that we see every, maybe not 
years had passed, but we see things like that every single day. I imagine when storm season comes, and I do not want to put that out yeah. there, but but you know, w- w- how has that affected your your work? What what have y'all learned or adapted, or what was already built in to sort of be ready for those times where you might face disruption and 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 animals in particular, um, in in a you know natural disaster can can be lost or whatnot. So we are actually um, one of the designated essential personnel for the parish when disaster comes. So we get activated just like animal control, just like Red Cross, and so what we sadly the past few years we we've seen this more than um more often than usual but it's really we've noticed that we can when times of disaster our community steps up we can put a call out and fosters come in in lines to help clear out our shelter so if we get an influx of animals like we did in the 2016 flood we have this space needed um but also, we learned last year with Hurricane Ida, we can support our other parishes that need help. I mean, animal sheltering, yeah. we're, we kind of are all the same, even though we live in different parishes. So we actually worked. We transferred out our animals and took in animals from other parishes that needed help. We also um, housed the pets for animals that were in evacuee shelters here. So even Baton Rouge residents and also other parish residents. And so we took care of them for, you know, a few few weeks until they could get on their feet. But it's really doing things like that and always kind of figuring out what is needed, not just for our parish. I think everything's always different, but seeing if we can help other parishes because we're all kind of in it together, especially when it comes to disasters. Well, absolutely. So so what's next for you uh, and, and, and what's the next set of priorities for for the Alliance? You know, besides that assessment I was talking about, I really want to figure out how to help our community and our people more. So Pets for Life expanded, very happy about that, but I would love for it to expand for the entire community and it, and really just figure out a way to help the people and their pets and where sheltering is looked at different in our community and be more progressive. I think we have a lot of barriers. I mean, when you lose a dog, if you have to pay hundreds of dollars to get your dog back, if you're low income, you can't afford that. So yeah. you're just giving up your dog, even though you have no other options. So it's looking at fees, looking at ways we can actually make sure we're not being a barrier of people and their pets. Um, and so that's the main thing is just keeping people and their pets together. And with that, I mean, it helps the shelter, it helps the community and just trying to change and look at things differently every day. One of the um, uh, more public ways you all raise resources every year is through your annual fur ball. Yes. Um, I heard uh, the, another successful one. Talk talk to us about that event and what it means in the community. Oh, fur ball is wonderful. If you haven't been, please go next year. So it's our annual gala. This year was nine, nine years, and it is a pet-friendly gala where we actually have community members. You get elected to be on the court the people and their pet, and they raise funds um, by kind of doing like a model catwalk kind of thing for the shelter. So it's it's fun. It's dog-friendly event, and it's a way for people to get dressed up, celebrate the shelter in a fun and different way. And, it, I mean, it's our largest fundraiser. We run we raise a lot of money every year, and it goes directly into operating costs, and it helps people understand what CAA is in a little bit different light. I think that that's that's uh, a highlight for sure, and and one that um, I think can can introduce people to the important work you've been doing. If people want to get involved, uh, it, where can they go to find out more about the alliance? They can go to our website, so caabr.org, or they can visit us on Facebook or Instagram. 
That's fantastic. All right, before I get you out of here, last question. It is uh, obviously springtime here in uh, in South Louisiana. When you're not at the Alliance, what what's the most uh, enjoyable thing you're looking for in South Louisiana this time of year? Uh, you know, I'm an active person, so I'm outside riding bikes, running, kind of doing anything, not sitting indoors. I mean, when it's not allergy season and miserable, you know. <laughs> Lots of Zyrtec. Yeah, Lots of Zyrtec. exactly. All right. Well, Jill, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this episode of the podcast. Uh, I learned a lot and, and certainly uh, want to find ways that I can get more involved with the Companion Animal Alliance. Uh, for more information about the Alliance and the work they're doing, please visit caabr.org. That's caabr.org to learn more. As always, thank you for listening in. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and our mission is to elevate the stories, ideas, and people making Baton Rouge a better place. Jill, thank you. Thank you. To learn more about the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, please visit our website at braf.org and become a member today.